sweet friend. This is Deeper Life, and I'm your host, Alexis Teichmiller. I'm a writer, content creator, and a woman on a journey to finding more depth in life. If you crave soul-filling conversations and long for a stronger connection to yourself and others, consider this your safe haven. It can be hard to embrace who we are, let alone share that with the rest of the world. The Deeper Life Podcast is a safe place to show up and hear conversations about relationships, emotional growth, and explore what it means to be vulnerable. If you're ready to dig deeper, I'm here to help you embrace who you are, reflect on your past, and connect with yourself. Welcome to A Deeper Life. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Life with me, Alexis Teichmiller, and I am so excited to have this force of a woman on today's episode. I just love her energy. Her name is Teresa McCloy. I promise that after this episode, you are just going to go and take over the world because that's how I felt after interviewing her and having this such intentional discussion. To give you a little background on Teresa, so Teresa McCloy is a coach, speaker, podcaster, trainer, and creator of the real life process. She is a certified professional leadership coach, certified professional life coach, and accredited coach through the International Enneagram Association. Any Enneagram fans out there, this episode is going to be incredibly illuminating and enlightening to you because I learned even more about myself through a more holistic look at the Enneagram. And Teresa just does such a fantastic job explaining this and and really all the facets of knowing who we are and using the Enneagram as a tool to better understand who we are and how we operate and, and how we see the world and how we Um, navigate our feelings and conflict and leadership. And there's just so many facets to the Enneagram that I'm still learning. And Teresa really shines a really beautiful, intentional, holistic approach to the Enneagram. So we talk through the Enneagram quite a bit on this episode. We also talk through why she doesn't believe in setting goals and instead looks at life through a lens of individual projects with a beginning, middle, and end. I love this reframe away from from goals and towards projects. I think this is a really interesting discussion and something that will kind of help us not feel so overwhelmed by our goals, but instead just to kind of look through things as a project instead. And then we also talk through her experiences with grief and loss throughout her life. We talk through what grief has taught her and what she's still learning. Um, through her grief, as well as um, she is a self-proclaimed recovering workaholic. And so we talk through those tendencies as well um, that you might relate to in terms of perfectionism, you know, working a lot, feeling like you need to hustle all the time. This is such a, honestly, a breath of fresh air. This podcast episode is so powerful, so intentional, and I'm so thankful to have Teresa on today's episode. She's like a mentor to me. Um, even with her coaching business, I I want to be like her in so many ways, and I'm just so thankful for this conversation. I hope it brings you peace, and I hope it brings you um, additional information and, and a new way to just see yourself. So if you resonate with this episode, I would love for you to reach out to me on Instagram at Alexis Miller and continue the conversation there, or leave a review of the Deeper Life podcast. Those always just bring me so much joy and um, just continue to keep me 
encouraged and continue to keep recording all these episodes. You know, podcasting is a lot of work. There's a lot of behind the scenes that goes into podcasting and just seeing those reviews keeps me going, y'all. So I'm so thankful that you're spending your valuable time with us today. Thank you for holding space for this conversation with Teresa McCloy and I. I promise that you will not regret it. All right, let's dive in. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Life. It's me, Alexis Tykemiller, and today on the podcast, I have my dear friend, Teresa McCloy. Hi. Hello. It's great <laughs> to be here. How much fun is this going to be? I am I already know it's going to be so exciting. Um, you can't see us right now, but Teresa and I are sitting across from each other in the Exchange Studio in small town, Midwest, Illinois. We are co-working space buddies. You own a coaching business. I own a coaching business. And I feel like we're kind of co-workers in our own way. We are. It's been fun to develop this over the last six weeks or so and just be like, hey, I'm showing up to work and I know who I'm going to see and have coffee with and chit chat with during the day. But yes, uh, we're all doing our own thing too. So it's a lot of fun. It is. And I think after a year of social isolation, And I mean, I've worked remote for seven years and I know that you were kind of working remote before the pandemic still been four or five years now that I've been pretty remote too, out on my little farm out in the country. Yes. And it being in a workspace that's so creative, I kind of feel like I feed off the energy of everybody around me. I do too. In fact, I'm like, okay, I have this tendency towards workaholism anyway. And I'm like, Mm. I want to go home. It's kind of fun to be here. So I'm having to set some new boundaries Ooh. with my co-working space. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about being a workaholic really quick. <laughs> I wasn't even planning on talking about that, but sure. Let's dig into that. Sure. Well, actually it's the whole reason I'm in coaching okay. is because of my journey of um, just always having this tendency of just do more, do more, do more. Mm. And so it ties into my whole story and why I do what I do of you know, living with your hair on fire is a statement that I use a lot of times Mm. and just always this drive of, I need to get more done. You know, that's, it's the culture that we live in here in the United States and we're measured by how much we do. Mm. And so a part of my journey, you know, whether it's through my spiritual journey, through um, the journey of who I'm going to be as a person, I'll be 60 this (gasps) summer. 60 and fabulous. And, uh, just all the life experience that I've had, just learning that my being is more important than my doing. Yes. And so that is really the whole process that I have in my coaching business is really helping fast paced, driven entrepreneurs. Most of them are fellow coaches Mm -hmm. or um, um, business owners or or things, helping them to not lose their being. Mm in their drive to do the doing and just kind of create this new rule of life that Mm -hmm. they can live by. And that's what uh, the work that I do is. So workaholism is near and dear to my heart. I fight it every (laughs) single day um, to go to that tendency of there's got to be more I could be doing Mm. and to kind of chill that out Mm. and enjoy the moments. Yeah. And we tie so much of our worth to our production, right? Mm. And we produce and we produce and we do and do. And then we look back and we're exhausted, you know, and we're burnt out and our relationships are crumbling or we feel disconnected to um, spirituality. We feel disconnected to ourselves. And it's like, we're just trying to create and push out so much that we don't take any time to, to really look inward and ask ourselves what's going on in here. So um, it's interesting that you say you still 
work through it every day, this workaholism. Isn't it interesting that when we become aware of something, it doesn't mean it goes away. No, it does not. So walk me through that journey of like, you're aware of something that you're working through, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it just goes away. It doesn't mean that you stop struggling with it. I think we, that awareness helps us to change patterns of behavior. Right. And to, uh, you know, see things through a different lens. Okay. Uh, You and I have talked off the recording, you know, that the tool, the Enneagram is my jam. Yes. And I absolutely love that tool. And I've used it for almost 10 years now in the work that I've done uh, when I was more in the pastor and minister space. And then I've moved into coaching and uh, different things. I just, I just love the tool, the Enneagram. And so that tool helps me and has helped me personally see those underlying kind of coping behaviors Mm. that I will go to very easily. Mm -hmm. And so if I have that awareness of them, right. um, That helps me to not go too far to the other side. You know, if we're talking about a spectrum or continuum, then I can catch myself and go, Oh, you're headed down that path. Mm -hmm. And for me, it is a a daily thing. It's a daily recentering, a daily Mm. practice of examine, a daily practice of, you know, have you spent time, you know, with self? Have you spent time, you know, meditation or prayer or whatever it might be that I need to recenter myself so mm-hmm. that I'm not going too far to one side yeah. and that I'm staying more in my authentic self, not in my adaptive self. So mm-hmm. the Enneagram has been the tool I've used to do that. And it's the tool that I use with my clients to do a lot of that deeper work. Yeah. But there's lots of great tools out there. That's just the one that I've been drawn to sure. uh, to do that work. Yeah, we're all attracted to different different tools. Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. very much very much attracted to the Enneagram. You said adaptive self and authentic <laughs> self. So I'm like, ooh. Yeah, let's explore that. <laughs> let's right? explore that. Yes. Yeah, so the true word probably would be maladaptive if we were going to go yes. all psychological, right? Yes. So, but I look at the word adaptive and that's just the word that I use because that's what we've done. We've adapted our behavior mm-hmm. to fit, mm-hmm. right? So um, as a type three on the Enneagram, I have uh, a very forward moving energy, Mm -hmm. much like uh, you do. And so as a three, though, I'm adapting to keep myself from looking like I would fail, to keep up my image, you know, to make it look like I've got myself together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's an appearance and, and that type of thing. Instead of leaning into that idea that, I'm worthy just as I am. I'm worthy uh, because of who I am and whose I am and and that type of thing rather than out there in this, I got to produce, I've got to do this Mm. because then I'll be enough and I'll get approval and affection. So on the Enneagram, you know, that adaptive behavior is what you see all the memes and posts about. Yeah about the Enneagram, if you're in social media, you see all that stuff that's always talking about the adaptive side. Mm. What I love about the tool of the Enneagram is when people really learn who they were originally designed to be authentically Mm -hmm. and lean into those authentic characteristics that our types have. Because for some people, it's just like opens up a whole new space for them of like, really? Understanding. That's, Mm -hmm. That's who I could be? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's the beauty to me is that that's another piece of knowing our real self is why I call it that awareness piece that we can come to. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was 23 
when I first took the Enneagram and I was living in Nashville at the time and very similar to like in LA, it's like, what's your sign? Oh yeah. You know, what's your type in Nashville? It's what's your type. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm in, so I didn't have an answer. And my boss at the time, he's like, you, you know, I, I think that you're this number. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Right. Cause I'm mm -hmm. from, I'm from mid, you know, small town, like <laughs> not Eppingham. too many people in Eppingham yeah, were talking Enneagram right. at the time. Went to any, went to EIU in college, like didn't, there was no really much focus on a personality test really at all, even in mm -hmm. school. And so then I'm in the workforce and my colleagues are like, Oh, what's your type? Like, I want to know more about you. And so I took the test for the first time and I, you know, was an eight, an eight wing seven. And the more, you know, it's been five years since I've taken it. And the more that I get into it, the more that, that adaptive self, the appearing strong, the appearing together that, you know, you're, you're kind of adapting to this performer element of yourself where you start to kind of adapt to your circumstances because the fear of an eight is like, well, I don't want to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see anyone see my weaknesses. And so then when I step into my authentic self, it's really engaging with that softness mm -hmm. and not seeing that as a weakness, but that's very much a part of my wholehearted self. And that was, it, it still is such a journey for me not to slip back in as a coping mechanism or as a defense mechanism too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way I love to teach the Enneagram, I teach it a little bit differently than maybe some of your listeners have heard it. I teach it through a model called the harmony triad model. Okay. So, uh, we'll use your example sure. as an eight. So, um, rather than, and I love wings and I believe in the wings and arrows and all those theories, but I love the simplicity of the harmony model of, as an eight, you're also connected to the heart of the two mm -hmm. and to the IQ space, the in intellectual space of the five. Right. I call that full circle. Mm. You get to live in all three centers of intelligence. I don't believe that any one of us are left out of all, all of that. Sure. So the eight, two, five connect, the seven, four, one connect and the three, six, nine connect. Everyone has a head, heart, and a gut. Mm. Your home space, how you see the world, the lens through which you look, it's coming from that instinctual gut knowing of the eight, Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. The beauty that I think the eight brings to the world, each of the types brings something to the world. It's mm -hmm. like a slice, yeah. you know, and you bring power. Well, I was just talking to a type eight yesterday, actually on a call. And I'm like, what do you think of when you hear the word power? And they go, well, nobody likes the eights. You know, when they come in the room, everybody's like, oh, here comes the eights. Mm -hmm. And so it's that reframing of sure. what does power mean? Sure. And does, so, you know, if we take those three centers, eight is power, two, it brings love. Mm -hmm. They're oftentimes described as the helper. Well, I think that's the middle of the continuum. Who are they truly and authentically? Mm -hmm. They bring love. Right. Who's the five truly and authentically? They're not just a gatherer of knowledge. They bring wisdom. Mm. So loving power brings wisdom. Wow. So there's a mantra for the 852 that's absolutely beautiful. Wow. Because if an eight is fully developed, living authentically, mm -hmm. it gives me goosebumps when I say it every yeah. time. I feel it too in my body. <laughs> in your body, right? Because yes. you're in the gut space. Yeah. Um, but if an eight is truly well-developed and knows their self well, they understand how to rein in their power mm -hmm. and bring it through the lens of love yeah. and bring it through the lens of wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
And then it shows up as a beautiful reflection of power rather than just I'm coming in the room. And if you're not in charge, I'll take charge and I've got it. Mm -hmm. So the eights have that forward moving energy. The threes have that same energy. Okay. But we do it for a different reason. We do it because we want to appear well. And eight really does want to, um, they just instinctually know how to move forward and get things done. Yes. So it's how do I, they use love and wisdom. For a three that's also a forward moving type, how do they use the loyalty and faithfulness of the six and the peacefulness of the nine Mm. to live full circle? And for the seven who's a forward moving type, how do they use the creativity of the four and the goodness of the one Mm. to bring their full circle? So it's so much fun and it makes so much sense and it makes the Enneagram very simple and understandable to say... Oh, you're right. I have a head, heart, gut. I just don't even know who my heart is. And so I want to develop that. Then I can be my best real self. Mm -hmm. I wasn't taught to look at the wisdom that I bring to the world and the way I like to explore things. So let me lean into that more. And then each and every day we're moving in all three of those centers. I love that. And it's, it makes the day looking at the day going, Oh, there I was again, you know, uh, being over loving, or, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, all buried in research and I didn't get anything done because mm-hmm. I was researching like crazy. Yeah. So it's just the noticing and aware that, that it helps us bring into our life. So yeah. that going full circle in our conversation really helped me get out of that workaholism tendencies and patterns um, because the invitation for me through the lens of the Enneagram was, are you working because you don't feel safe? That's my six. Mm or that you don't feel that loyalty and are you overworking because you can't sit in the peacefulness mm-hmm. of the nine yeah, and the quietness and the stillness. As I get older, it's much easier to sit in the quietness of the stillness, <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, love that. But um, yes. yeah, that has been the invitation for me oh. is how can I slow down just a bit? Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I've never heard it from that perspective. I think I could have saved myself a lot of, emotional jump, like obstacle courses, honestly, hearing that sooner, um, because of the way that the narrative was in Nashville around the Enneagram, then the narrative around eights was like, Oh, you're an eight. Oh, interesting. I usually don't like eights. This has literally been said to me. Oh, I I usually don't like eights. I usually don't get along with eights. I usually don't get along with female eights. And I'm like, what does this all even mean? You know, Mm -hmm. because I'm still trying to understand the context of what the Enneagram is for me and my personality and the ways that I engage and love and all of that. And see, I hate when the tool is used in that way because that is not what the tool is for. It's not to judge people and put them in a box and go, well, I don't get along with, you know, fours or those twos. They just over love me. Yeah. I want to go, can we really, the tool of the Enneagram is can we use it to give empathy yes. and understanding to one another Yes, and go, wow, I'm so glad you're showing up with your eight because we need power in the world. Mm-hmm. We need peace. We need love. We need creativity. Yeah. We need the effectiveness of the three. Mm-hmm. I can't help but look at something through, how could I put that in a system and a process and make it work better? <laughs> yeah. You know? And I believe that that's the gift sure. that I bring to the world, you know? Um, the seven brings joy. Mm-hmm. We need joy. So I look at the Enneagram from the light that it shines in all the nine ways and the gift that it brings, not in 
let's box people in and go, well, I know you, I've got your number. Right. Like that just is not loving. It right. It just doesn't feel good to be labeled. Right. Uh, in that way. And it also so. adds a, another layer to the narrative of like, well, is something wrong with my number? And so then mm-hmm. I found myself, you know, I am a natural wing seven. I do feel that in my gut. Oh, I yeah. know that. But what I found myself is I would think like an eight and then I would water it down and sometimes act like a seven yeah. so that I could be more um, palatable. Yes. You know, so that I could, you know, people would would think I was funny or people would, you know, like my energy. And then if I could get in with that, then I could come in with my ideas. Mm-hmm. And that was, again, that adaptive self versus that authentic self. Mm-hmm. I'm just loving this conversation. Yeah, and it's learning to love, you know, all of who you are. Right. And so as an eight, when I bring power, it's not power like I'm powering up on people. Right. But it is the ability. Um, the eight to me is the warrior. They're going to go to battle for people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very justice oriented. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. They're uh, injustice. If they see an injustice in the world or someone being treated unjustly, their heart space and that loving too kicks in and mm-hmm. they're like all for it. Well, don't we need people like that in the world? Absolutely. So, you know, um, Unfortunately, you know, the Enneagram, just like any other tool can be used, uh, in the wrong way. Sure. It's one of the things is even when I say I work with the tool, the Enneagram, I want to go, Oh, but I don't love all the memes and all the boxes that we put people in with Mm -hmm. all the things, because it is such a deeper tool than that. And I hold it in a very spiritual way of like, no, this is a deep tool that can do transformational work. It's not just shelf help that we're like, oh, I took that and I know what I am and I know my type yeah. and I'm going to share it with people. And it's not a dating game. It's not any of those things. I've heard people even go, oh, well, you know, should I have, you know, someone take a Enneagram before I go? I'm like, no, if you feel an attraction <laughs> to someone, date them. Like, yeah. don't try to Enneagram type them first because, oh you know, gosh. to my knowledge, there's not a like, oh, this will be a perfect relationship. Right. Know? It doesn't. So. That is so funny. Um, Also, I do think that when it comes to like the energy that you put out into the world, because we're very forward focused people, Mm -hmm. a lot of energy, big personalities, women. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that, because I think in certain rooms and certain situations in my career, mostly in my career, I've had to figure out how to navigate my energy and my, my vision in a way that is palatable to other people without seeming like I'm trying to be controlling or like I'm trying to be, and I've even been told this like bossy in a workplace setting, um, which I, I had a conversation with that gentleman about why, you know, we probably shouldn't use that language to describe women. And it actually went really well, that conversation did, but I'm just curious, like as people are listening to this and they're getting in touch with their energy levels, how have you navigated your own energy level in your career, in your relationships without slipping into that adaptive self? Like, hey, this is my authentic self. Mm-hmm. I'm high energy and I, I'm tired of apologizing or trying to change so that I make other people maybe feel more comfortable around me. Well, it is a journey, yeah. I will say. And, um, you know, as I said earlier, I'll be 60 this summer. So I've been on the journey a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um And it hasn't always been easy. It has been a journey of discovery. Um, 
I've done a lot of things really wrong because of my forward energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've hurt people. I've walked over them. I've, um, and then I've had it turned around and been done to me sure. because I had that energy mm. um, through different things that I did in uh, ministry space that I used to be in and different things. I broke a lot of molds. And I was, that was kind of my work to do was to just show up in some spaces as a woman mm-hmm. that was spaces other women hadn't shown up in yet, yeah. not because they didn't belong there, but just hadn't been invited to that table yet. And yeah. so I went through that season of my life where I probably powered up a little more than I needed to be. And if we put it through Enneagram lens, strangely enough, when I first discovered the Enneagrams through some spiritual work that I was doing, um, I thought I was an eight Mm. because I had had to power up so much in certain environments. Okay. But when I really looked at the motivation behind what I was doing, it was coming more out of that three energy than it was the eight energy. So one of the things that uh, I've learned with the amount of energy that I have is when do I need to use it? And when can I listen? Yeah. When can I learn? When can I sit back? Yeah. It's not always easy to do. No. But there are certain battles that aren't mine to fight right. and aren't mine to do. And mm-hmm. so it's where do I want to use my energy? I know for a fact it's why I'm an entrepreneur. Right. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. I sure. mean, you know, I always say I was the little girl who sold Christmas cards door to door when they were in the box out of the back of the highlight magazine, which for some of your listeners, they don't even know what that is, but I do know what a highlight magazine is. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saving me there. (laughs) Well, you could used to be able to order the boxes of Christmas cards and go around and sell them for like $2. Like I've always been a, how could I create something, Mm. make money, you know, build my own thing. So I, And I broke a lot of those molds or felt like I did. So that was a place I needed to use my energy. Mm -hmm. But then there are other places in life where I've had to go, you know, this is not mine. This is not my battle. Um, And in, in pull in a little bit to that protection and that safety to go, no, it's okay that I don't, don't take this one Mm -hmm. to the mat or, or whatever. And I don't know. I think so much of that just comes with life experiences and really learning to discover what you're passionate about. Right. And once you are, begin to refine that passion and find, you know, kind of your real self, right? then some of that just goes away. And it's like you shed it like a layer of skin and you're right. like, you know what? It's okay. Right. It's not, it's not mine to do. Mm-hmm. And someone else can pick that up and carry that. Yeah. Um, so that's just been my experience. It's different for everybody at, um, as women, as, uh, you know, I've always loved leading a team and working in collaboration with others and those types of things. So one of my biggest skills, I would say, in the last 10 years is learning how to listen and you know, uh, yeah, just learning, not that I'm needing to feel like I'm holding my tongue. Right. That's different. Right. Than listening. Let's talk about the difference between the two. Okay. Like, cause I think that we can sometimes, um, I was listening to a fantastic podcast about moral superiority, cancel culture and mob mentality and how there's a lot of like self-censorship happening where it's like, we aren't saying, or we aren't asking the questions. We aren't saying what we want to say because we're out of fear 
And so how do you know when to listen and when to, how do you know when you're actively listening or when you're actively trying to push down your voice? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And I think, again, it comes through awareness of your own self and knowing, you know, what are the things that you're passionate about using your voice Mm -hmm. in and where are places, right? We can get all caught up in the social media stuff and in the things and where are the spaces that you're going to show up and use your voice in the way that you feel called to use your voice Mm -hmm. and it aligns with the work that you're doing. It aligns with your, um, you know, your belief systems and all of that. And and you're going to show up Mm -hmm. and, and be there. Now, when I say show up, show up doesn't always mean you have to shout it from the rooftops. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's been an invitation for me again in, in the last 10 years or so is, can I show up in a deep conversation one-to-one Yeah, and make a difference in one? Mm-hmm. We both work as coaches. Yeah. And so can I ask really good questions of mm-hmm. my clients to help them make a difference and see themselves differently, which is making an impact and using my voice sure. and doing all the things. And I'm listening well, and I'm choosing when not to speak and go, well, you know, here's what I would do. I would fix it by doing the da 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 And it's not mine to fix. Yes, queen. It's theirs to discover. Yes. Well, as forward moving types, we are the queens. Of, yeah. We can fix it. <laughs> We're very solution oriented. And that is, you know, mm-hmm. when do you give advice? When do you um, ask those questions and, and kind of guide them on that journey? So that's all about learning to use our voice, right? right. So, mm-hmm. um when am I going to listen well and let it be their experience? Because you and I both know in life, we don't learn lessons unless we experience them. That's so true. And we walk through them. Yeah. So if I steal that from someone, one of my clients, someone else on social media, and I go, so here's all the answers and here's how you should think and here's what you should do. Mm. I just rob them of their own experience. Mm. I mean, I have a 24-year-old daughter. I would love to tell her all the things to do and all the ways to fix her life and move forward and do. And, you know, there's another place I could use my voice as a mom. But if I do, unless she asks me, right, I rob her of the experiences right. of her own journey. And, you know, now that I am coming into another decade, I realize all the lessons in each decade that I've learned along the way. And if somebody would have robbed me of those mm-hmm. and spoke up and used their voice over mine, and there were times people did, right? we learned from both ways. So of course. I think it's just, yeah, that when do I not hold my tongue as an I'm biting it, but when do I um, take a breath? Right. Yeah. I'm learning that as well. I've really shifted in the, I would say really in the past year and a half, two years, where I used my voice because I was trying to prove something, prove that I belonged in the spaces I was in, proved I belong a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And so there was a level of that performance of like, I need to prove that I belong here and deserve to be here. And so I would sometimes exert that energy out in a very, just a very like powerful, but not empowering mm-hmm. way to other people. There is a, there's a difference that, you know, bulldozing of <laughs> our, you know, twenties um, and thirties, I think each decade invites us to different things. Right. And part of it is 
learning that balance of, oh, when I exert my voice there, you know, when we're toddlers, we're learning to walk and it's like these steps and then I fall down. Same thing happens in young adult life, right? We're like, oh, I used my voice. Well, that didn't go so well. Yeah. You know, and Mm -hmm. what, what do I need to discern? Mm -hmm. And I think discern is the word, you know, what do I need to learn from that? Discern from that? Why didn't it go well? Um, instead of just always blaming the other person, like what part of that is mine to own? Sure. And then, you know, we continue to grow and move as we get into our mid thirties and our forties and, and into the next season. And yeah, it's just, it's a journey. And I love Richard Rohr. One of my favorite spiritual uh, leader says, you know, everything belongs like all of it's a part Mm. of our life story. There's not one part of it that's supposed to be different than it is. Wow. And it's what, what do we take away from it? When we try to say, well, that part didn't belong. I'm not going to remember that part. I'm not going to learn anything from that experience. I'm not going to, you know, well, those people, I'm just done with them. We're not taking it all in for what it was meant to help shape us and mold us and continue us on the journey of growth and awareness. So that's so powerful because when we get hurt and when we put those walls up and when we protect, we put on our armor, it's easy to cut people out, cut experiences out, cut memories, groups of people out. Mm -hmm. How do we invite that belonging? You know, that everything belongs. I know that that's even a practice in and of itself. It is. (laughs) But, you know, how do we, and I I think that because of that internal intrinsic, I'm trying to protect myself emotionally, it is sometimes easier to kind of stiff arm and -hmm. be like, all right, no more. I'm out. Gotta go. Never again. Mm -hmm. How do we engage with those experiences of recognizing, okay, I have something to learn here. What can I learn from this without cutting everything out? And and when do you cut things out? I guess. Yeah, and there is a time sometimes when we need to, you know, step away, away, create a boundary in a relationship. Um, You know, all those things are true, especially if they're truly unhealthy. Um, One of the things, there's a word that a spiritual director that I worked with taught me and I, I talk about it often. It's the word remember mm. and think of it in a way of not, you know, I'm remembering something, but I'm remembering it back together. So much of the work that's deeper work for us is to look back on an experience. It could be somewhere we used our voice, didn't use our voice, all the things. And we go, what can I remember about that mm. that puts it back together? And I can really kind of another word that we use, like witness it, like I'm going to sit up above it and I'm going to witness what happened, you know, whether it's maybe you walked away from a job or you left with some bad, you know, relationships in its wake, or I've done all of those things. You know, I've been fired from a job. I've had a business fail. I mean, you name it, it, I probably walked through it. And all of those things, if I can at some point go back and kind of remember and say what part of that belongs. It's a part of me. Mm. It's a member of me. Yeah. And I can remember it and 
bring out this part and learn from this part and do from this. So many times we just want to wipe the slate and move on. So true. And it's a part of our story. And when we do that, we really kind of wipe out a part of our story and go, you know, I don't want to think about that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't belong. No, it belongs. It's how we remember it that makes the difference. Do you think this is why, wow, I'm, I'm getting a moment of clarity here. Do you think this is why we struggle with knowing who we are and we struggle to know what we want? Because we're like missing these sections of our lives right. that we've just to teach us chosen not us. to remember, not to engage in. So we don't have clarity. We struggle with vision and we struggle with advocating for our needs because we genuinely like don't know who we are, or what we want. Mm-hmm. And it, until Ugh. we go back and kind of put the pieces back together. And right. This is what I, I, I tell people all the time when we're coaching too is the best place that we usually do that is in community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, um, we do it in community. Now, community can look all kinds of different ways. So the way that we normally remember is through conversation, through coaching, through mentoring, through all the different therapy, whatever it is that we need. And we right. could need all of those things. We could need them all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but whatever it is, we usually do it in community. It could be a group that you're a part of, you know, whether that's through a spiritual connection, through a co-working space, right? Yeah. I mean, community though is how we work things out. Yes. It's what we're wired and designed for. Even if you, going back to the Enneagram, even if you're in a way type, so there's certain types on the Enneagram spectrum, the fives, the fours, and the nines that really have what we call an away energy. Okay. So they wouldn't naturally come into a room and go, hi, I'm here. And da, 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 you know, like <laughs> you and I would, um, we would come in and take over the room. Yeah. Uh, so there's toward energies, there's away energies and there's forward energies. So the toward energies are the twos, the sixes and the ones, mm. you know, they're going to come in and get into probably a pretty deep conversation one-on-one with people. They're very toward, engaging, social. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of more like, okay, who's who's in charge of this thing? And how can we make it better? And, you know, mm-hmm. we're looking at the effective and efficiency, or let's get this meeting started or the party started or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter how you're coming. It all belongs, but we have to go back and remember all those different places and maybe even remembering oh, you know, what kind of energy was I in? Because if you think of it through harmony, you have all three energies. So, you know, I need to step back and look at this through my five, which is a little more away Mm -hmm. and do some evaluating and remembering. Uh, I need to step into my heart and see where was I loving or unloving, you know, which is my tort. So I don't know. I just, yeah, I love that conversation. It's so powerful knowing our awareness and, uh, just continuing to grow. The hard part is, I will tell people this, don't go on the journey of self-awareness unless you really want to go, because once you go, you can't go back. You can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't unlearn what you've learned about yourself. And, right. Um, then you're like, what yeah. do I do with all this? <laughs> yeah. So um, actually this is a great kind of segue into this conversation of when you become aware then you kind of acknowledge, okay, this is, this is here, this happened, this is the reality. Mm-hmm. Then you take some kind of action. Yep. So walk me through that journey of like, okay, I'm sitting in my awareness. Now what? That's the key. It's such a great question because 
um, when I was going through this, even myself, and over the last 10 to 15 years have done this deep work of awareness, much of it happened, and I share this story just to say, there's usually sometimes a catalyst that causes you to go, okay, crap's happening and I'm, it's out of control. Yeah. Like, you know, and so why was I diving so deep into workaholism? Well, for me, our life experience was our son wasn't, was a heroin addict. And as he walked that journey for about 10 years, I was trying to control it and trying to go through all of this stuff with him and yet taking on this control. And so my workaholism was kicking in because, you know, okay. okay, this is how, what I can control. So I'll just work more. And so we had this whole thing going. So many times there's a catalyst that pushes us into deep, like this isn't working for me. And I have to, you know, Dr. Phil famously says, how's that working for you? Yeah. Well, it's not. Yeah. So we got to figure out something. How did you know it wasn't working for you? Well, cause life starts to, I mean, relationships are falling apart. Okay. You know, uh, your body is telling you yeah. that you're exhausted. Okay. You know, you're having physical things happen. Um, most of the time, I mean, you know it just yeah. deep in your gut. You're mm -hmm. like, if something doesn't change, something's going to break yeah. in me. Mm -hmm. And so once that awareness happens and you start that growth and then you get to this place of, okay, now I've kind of got this knowledge and information. What do I do with it? Right. That's when we're moving from the being to the doing. Now I got to go back out into the world, so to speak, and, right. and produce something, Right. you know, be about something. So that's kind of the work, my life work that I've developed in the last five or six years is a process that I call the real life process. So it's this four steps. I often tell people it is the Enneagram. It is uh, some deep spiritual work. And it is uh, 90 day processes of getting stuff done mm -hmm. all wrapped into one and comes out as what we call the real life process. So first we look at that being peace and then we say, okay, now that I know who I am and I know what matters in my life, that's huge. What are the big rocks and sure. the buckets that matter mm -hmm. you know, spiritually, professionally, uh, relationally? And we identify those through a process that I've created. So what are those things? Now that I know what those are, what do I want that to look like in a couple of years from now? Mm -hmm. And you asked me earlier before we started recording, like, why don't you call them goals? A lot of people would go, so what's your goal financially? Mm -hmm. What's your, you know, whatever. I'll just say it out loud. Please. I hate the word goals. Yeah. Because goals are something that is a type three I would fail at. Mm. Because it's like I set it out there. Well, what if, it, what if that doesn't happen? Yeah. So I love the word projects because a project is something I can continually work on. Mm -hmm. I can change. And we have a lot of terms we use at the real life process, but one of them is I write down what my action steps are to get me to that project. Right. And so I know the very next step. So if I've set a goal, no, I haven't set a goal. If I've set a project mm -hmm. that I want to work on that gets me towards this big rock, say for example, one of my big rock areas of focus in my life is I want my husband and I to travel five to six weeks out of the year. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not going to happen tomorrow. No, we've got to set out a plan. We've exactly. got to have some mini little projects along the way. Yeah. And so it's like, I know who I am. I know my being now. I know what I want to do in these different areas. I'm going to break those down into small bite-sized projects. Mm. That's our step two in our process. 
then we're going to figure out how am I going to do that in my daily life? Right. How am I going to do that in my calendar? How's this all going to fit together? Right. That's a whole big long process we do in time management. That's our step three. And then our step four is how do I make that sustainable? Because mm-hmm. you and I both have read every <laughs> self-help book there is imaginable. I know. I know. We've read them all. Yeah. I was the queen. I've got shelves and shelves of self-help books and you know, here's your morning routine. Here's your evening routine. Here's your afternoon. Here's what you do. I can do all of those for about three to six months and then I'm off the wagon again. I'm proud of you for even doing them for three to six months. I do them for like a week and I'm like, I'm so proud of me. And then I'm like, I did that. And then I check it off the list and I go back to my normal habits. So step four to me is that sustainability piece, because if we know our being and we know how to break it down and like, there's what I want out there. And I've got it into these manageable projects that I'm going to work on in the next 90 days. That's going to get me this far and this far bite-sized steps mm-hmm. to get me where I want to be. Yeah. So I can travel six weeks out of the year. Yes. That's one of them. And so I can get to there. And then I know how I'm going to manage that in my day to day. But then the key is how am I going to sustain that? Mm-hmm. Well, I believe one of the keys is you have a Sabbath day every week. You have a day of rest whatever that looks like for you, that you step away from all technology, all stuff one day a week, you have a day of renewal. What do you love to do? What are your hobbies? You've you got to feed yourself and take care of yourself. Self-care yes. and soul care has to happen yes. for anything to be sustainable long-term. Mm-hmm. We can't just drive right. all the time. And then you have to review what you're doing and you have to look at it. You have to get out your little life plan that we call it and, and look at it on a regular basis. So I suggest weekly and quarterly who doesn't want to have a retreat every quarter. Yeah. So that's part of what we <laughs> teach our clients and work through is just this new kind of modern day rule of life that you can live by that really is sustainable because you foundation of it is who you are. Right not defined by what you do, mm-hmm. which is normally what we do. Hi, my name's Teresa and I do blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's inundated into our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To define ourselves by what we do, not who we are. Right. Thank you for walking through that process. Yeah. That is so powerful. That's like a very nutshell, but yeah. it is a powerful journey. It's not for the faint of heart, right? but it is um, sustainable. Right. And I, I'm so attracted to the word sustainability because working in tech, being a millennial, being in this generation of boss babes and hustle culture and, you know, you have access to so much information, you have access to so much opportunity too. And so it can be incredibly overwhelming of, well, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to be on every social platform. I'm going to give all this away for free. I'm going to try to figure out how to monetize this. I'm going to have a pot. Like you, you break out all these different things and you're just completely overwhelmed with the amount of work that you're doing. It is very exhausting. And then on top of that, it's not sustainable because you continually get back into this burnout. You continually get back into this, these feelings of why am I doing this? It's because you're not centered. You're not grounded in who you are and what you want. And as you walk through all of that, like what I hear is, and what I said earlier is, yeah, who's, where's the community? Exactly. Yeah. So lonely. It is. And so many of the people that both you and I coach are coming out of this. And in some ways we've been sold a bill of goods that it's easy. Right. And it's not easy. Right. I've owned a brick and mortar store back in the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
the old brick and mortar store where, you know, it was a retail. We both have that in our uh, background as well, retail clothing. And, you know, we thought when we had a brick and mortar business, if it was profitable and doing something in five years, but yet many of us in this new age of online businesses, a lot of people that we coach and work with, you know, somebody has told them that, you know, gosh, you can have it up and running in 90 days and you're going to have money just flowing in and you're going to have all these. It's not true. Right. And it's also very lonely and it's not for everyone. It's It's not not for every personality. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had to walk through that myself as a view, but, um, because again, we, we're all about the doing mm-hmm. and not the, who are you and who, what difference do you really want to make in the world? And, yeah. you know, would that be with 10 people and that'd be great. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be 10,000. Right. You know? <laughs> and even, even shifting that too of, of the impact and, you know, wanting to build this big business where, you know, you have this membership community and you have thousands of members and, you know, being in my tech background, working with all of these six, seven figure entrepreneurs who have tens and millions of followers and you know, people in their community, you see that and you're like, oh, I want that. And then you look closer and you look closer and you look closer. And I'm like, no, nah, I just want to, I just want to actually have a one-on-one coaching business where I go deep with individuals. Absolutely. Because the farther I got into that, the more exhausting it was. And also we set goals or dreams. You can say it. It's not a bad word. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying like we've been we've been sold this this list of goals or this these list of dreams and not everybody has capacity to actually make the dream happen or they don't know themselves enough to know that they don't really want that they're dream. They're not ready yet. Yeah. Like you know that there's still so much there in the being part of right. who they are that they're discovering and um yeah, it's not, it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to come to that too, of I'd rather go deep with a few right. and make impact with them mm-hmm. who ripple impact out to others, who ripple impact out to others right? than uh, sustain, you know, that big flashy mm-hmm. business of, you know, the online world and all that that has to offer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. If that's yeah. what you're called to do and that's the door that's been open for you, sure, go for it. Sure. But um, I really enjoy the richness mm-hmm. of a good deep conversation yeah. in community. And I really had to learn that community was a huge value for me. Right. Uh, in not false community, but true, deep, you know, that's one of my areas of focus in my life on uh, what I call the real life view. That's the being part of the work we do. And it is deep friendships. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like yeah. to have a deep circle of friends? And so how does that show up on my calendar even? That's the third step that we talk about in our process. So if it matters over here, then I should be seeing it over here to my day to day. So, you know, people matter. You know, I was talking about my son earlier. My son actually passed away in 2017. Uh, from his addiction. I'm so sorry. And thank you. And one of the things that I learned at that phase was how much people mattered mm. and how much community mattered. So if I'm saying it matters that, you know, I have this circle of deep friends, then shouldn't they be over here in a time block on my calendar? I call them people blocks. Yeah. Shouldn't they be in the people block? Right. Shouldn't I have time that I'm having lunch with them or dinner with them or mm-hmm. hanging out with them? Because 
they're the people that are going to show up in my time of crisis and I'm going to show up for them. Mm -hmm. And also in times of joy and fun. And so, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about spending, you know, your budget money on paper. I really teach you're spending your time. Right. And if it's around the things that matter, you know, then the moments matter. Mm -hmm. Every moment matters. It does. And how are we going to spend them? Yeah. You mentioned earlier, like the catalyst for you. Mm -hmm. Um, My catalyst was grief. Mm -hmm. I lost one of my best friends in 2018. And it kind of honestly was the beginning of my own awakening in a way, my own emotional growth journey and Mm -hmm. healing and processing and, and making time and Mm -hmm. not even, not even really knowing my values and, Mm -hmm. and how was I spending my time and Mm -hmm. what I said was important. How was I reflecting that in the way I spent my time and how did your grief, how this process like that you've been going through the last six years, Mm -hmm. what did your grief teach you through that? And, and how did you, and a grief is such an, um, it is. I always say grief is a spiritual practice all on its own. Yes. And so it does have a lot to teach us yeah. and it's not, uh, loss has a lot to teach us. It does. We learn as much from loss as we do from gain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, whether it's a friend, whether, you know, it's a child, whether it's a parent, whether it's just walking through an illness that takes something from you. Right. There's all kinds of different losses and griefs, you know, end of a marriage, all those things are grief and grief is a spiritual practice that teaches us something. Again, it's if we want to go back and remember mm-hmm. and draw out what does, what's the lesson that it has to teach us. And then from there, we're not forgetting the grief. We're not, you know, I never, not a day goes by that I don't think about my son and think about the work that I do and why I'm doing the work that I do. And I'm doing it because of how it was formed in me through his life. Right. And so that carries me forward and carries, carries me on. Right. And so we can take that grief and take the lessons from it Mm -hmm. and go, what story do I now want to tell out in the world? Right. What do I now want to carry forward that makes a difference that matters, that is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Loss creates something in you that from a spiritual place makes the world bigger, right? Because now it's not just about here. It's about the universe, right? It's about all of what's going on spiritually and, you know, the body that I have on this earth. And so to me, it's just so expansive now that I'm just like, wow, there's so much more that I know I'm connected to than Mm -hmm. just, you know, today and what's going on right here. So I don't know, there's, there's blessings in grief. And I know that sounds crazy. Some people might disagree, um, I understand, but there's blessings in grief mm-hmm. that you can carry on, yeah. uh, into, you know, your life on this earth as you know it now Absolutely. and what you're going to carry forward. Yeah. I remember the first couple weeks after, um, my friend passed away and I went to podcasts. I was like, all right, how do we grieve? Mm-hmm. I, I, I like honestly shifted out of myself emotionally and into my logical self and said, five. <laughs> how can I, yep. How can I speed up this lesson? Mm-hmm. Because I'm hurting 
And I just want to try to understand what I'm supposed to learn here because I don't want to feel like this. And I wanted to rush the grief process. So I was trying to understand like, okay, what are the steps? I literally searched, you know, what are the steps of grief and how do I, how do I speed this up? Because I'd never experienced that level of loss before, mm-hmm. that level of unexpected loss and pain. And what I learned is that, you know, it it was such a, you know, people say like it takes time. And that's mm-hmm. such a frustrating phrase. It is. It's a frustrating phrase when you're in pain, right? But it's true. It did take time. And by learning not to rush through those lessons and rush through, honestly, those blessings that it did teach me. I was able to have a different perspective instead of suppressing it, pushing it down and avoiding, avoiding the grief altogether. Yeah. And I, I do, I think, you know, it's the invitation of what, what do we get to learn from grief? So one of the things that, um, that I learned as a, even in how I'm wired as a forward moving type as a three is that I didn't know how to like pause yeah. and take in the moment Mm -hmm. of the day. Yeah. So I came up with this weird little ritual that I do. And I think part of working through anything in your life is creating rhythms and rituals. It's part of the work that I love to teach is how can you be in a routine and a ritual that speaks to you? So one of my crazy little rituals is I started it about six months after our son passed away. And I'm like, I am going to post, because again, in the depth of your grief, like what can I do mm-hmm. to bring myself present yeah. to now? And so I'm going to post every day from now till my birthday in July. I think I started it in like March, um, a picture of something that I noticed that's about today. Mm. And, you know, I call it ordinary to extraordinary. This is just an ordinary moment. But if I pause and I take it in, it's actually the most extraordinary part of the day. Cause when we were walking with Eric in the depths of his struggles, it was like, gosh, is there anything good about today, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything I can find about today that's good? So I started that. Um, and as of today, will be 1,993 days that I have made a post. Wow. Every day on social media, I take a picture and I put the number of days And it's become a spiritual practice for me of just going, what is it today? And I try for it not to be always some sunshiny thing, right? Because life is real. Right. And I want people to know that life is real. So there are good days and there are bad days. But even if we pause in the moment, and what it's taught me to do is be present to the moment. Mm -hmm. Because as forward moving energies, we're always thinking about tomorrow, the next week, next Tuesday, next Wednesday, whatever it is. Right. We're scheduling, we're planning. And you know, life is short Mm. as you and I both have experienced. And so can I be present to the moment? And sometimes literally, I feel like it's a slap up the side of my head to go, Mm. you just about missed it. Like I showed you a beautiful sunset or I showed you a, a, a beautiful flower or, you know, I look out my back door and yes, I live in the Midwest and we have cows in my backyard. And <laughs> so, and it's not always something I've seen. It could be a conversation. It right. could be, uh, you know, something I've read that's a quote, whatever, but it's like, I could go so fast, I could miss it. Mm -hmm. And so even for me, the grief process has taught me to slow Mm -hmm. and slowing is a spiritual practice as well. And so when I lean into that, um, 
I really do capture the moment. So I've been captured him for a long time. I never thought I would do it for that long, but now it's become part of just a ritual of my day and I a love routine. That. It's beautiful. Uh, I don't journal. I always say I don't journal. I just take a picture and yeah. capture the moment instead. <laughs> well, hey, you know, that's your form of journaling. It is. I laugh and say that's yeah. how I uh that's how I uh lean into my my day. I love that. It's such a surrendering. It is. It's a surrendering a to the present and stepping back and taking it in. And I've been doing a lot of research on subconscious and consciousness. And um, I came across this interesting statistic that we're really only conscious, like conscious about five to 10% of the day. And a lot of our subconscious is running our thoughts, running our actions. It's a part of our intrinsic rituals, right? Our habits. Because it's, it's crazy so, tape that plays in our head. Right. It, it's so etched into our brain that we have these habits. And, and, yeah. and I've really been trying to, to surrender to um, bring my subconscious up mm-hmm. into my consciousness and really trying to recognize the moment and being in present in conversations yeah. and, and watching when my mind wanders and, yeah. you know, bringing it back and then it wanders and then I bring it back. Right. I because know, the brain is such a powerful thing. It is. And I, that's one of the blessings even of walking through, you know, with our son and even in his addiction is, you know, the things that I look back and go, like, I learned so much about the brain. Cause I was, you know, the parent who's going to learn everything there is to know. Mm-hmm. And so how, you know, cause we all have addiction, all it is, is coping behaviors, right? So we all have coping behaviors and our brain forms neuropathways. And when we can learn to reprogram the neuropathways, right? That's part of awareness Mm -hmm. is awareness is now I know better. I do better. Mm -hmm. And so I reprogram and it takes practice. It takes ritual. It takes rhythm. It takes routine to, to do that day after day after day, one day at a time. Right. And, you know, so that's a gift that the recovery world gave to me is mm. my own recovery and learning mm. my own ways of we're all in recovery mm. for something, um, you know, all kinds of behaviors yeah. control our lives. And so they're back here in the back part of our brain. And when we can bring them forward, mm-hmm. then we can work with them and we can do something about them. So right. that's fun, stru- fun study stuff. Yeah. We, um, we're all in recovery and it all belongs. Mm-hmm. I love that. This has just been such a beautiful conversation. Oh, thank you. It's I'm, been fun. I'm so this probably is the extraordinary moment of the day right oh, here. Oh, good. That <laughs> that makes me so happy. I received that. Um, you are just such a beautiful soul and I feel so connected to you in a lot of ways and just connected and inspired and really actually empowered by your energy and oh, seeing the way you. that you've run your coaching business. I I, the other day I thought, gosh, you know, I think my goal is to be like Teresa. I'm <laughs> oh, that's scary as we hang out in this co-working I space. Know. I was like, oh my gosh, I just love her. <laughs> so I'm you, just friend. so thankful that we got to do Thank this. You. And I'd love for you to share where people can connect with you. Sure. I have a feeling that people are definitely going to be reaching out sure. to you after this episode. Well, the easiest way is to just go to the website, uh, thereallifeprocess.com. We spell real life with one L. So R-E-A-L-I-F-E, the real life process.com or social media. Facebook is where I hang out the most real life process community. It's a free little community that we have. And uh, those are two of the best places, but I'm on Instagram clubhouse, a few other places as well. But yeah. And you have your own podcast too. And I have my own podcast called which is, the real life process podcast, which is so, very good. Friends. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of the early episodes are Enneagram driven. 
uh, the later episodes or more about the process itself. So perfect. And I'll have all of that linked up in the show notes for y'all so you can easily access all things Teresa. So thank you, friend. This has been a good time, a good moment in the day. It has been. Thank you so much. 